Unfortunately, when you do talk to real experts in Washington about China, if you can find them, they come into almost two camps exclusively. One is that China is going to take over by 2049, so learn your Mandarin today. And the other is China is going to collapse by 2049. Nothing to see here. Welcome back. I'm here again with Dr. Sean McFate. Sean, as always, it's a pleasure. Good to uh, see you. There yeah. hasn't been really much going on since the last time we <laughs> met. I think we were talking about Wagner and the potential overthrow of, of Putin's regime. And I guess at that time, Prigozhin was still alive and now he's not. So, yeah. Well, Wagner's still alive in Africa, which is always where their best troops are, and Russia has not been able to wrangle them up. So that's a space to watch, too. Well, also, there's a lot going on in Africa right now mm-hmm. that obviously the mainstream media is not covering, but a lot of these African states are like they're flipping against the New World Order, so to speak. Yes. Where if the United States is quote unquote the New World Order. Yeah. What, what, well, really quick, I, I didn't mean to like yeah. digress, but what, what the heck's going on in there? Because the media's not covering it, so we might No, well. it, I mean Russia has been using the Wagner group to do a couple of things. Is one to suck mineral resources out of Africa to fund their war in Ukraine, and also is to basically support coup d'etats so that you know Putin is creating this wing of military juntas who are turning away from the West and turning towards Moscow to be Russian client states. And he's made like this brotherhood of juntas, Moscow-facing juntas in Africa across the Sahel. And that's significant because also what I think a lot of listeners don't realize is that what oil was in the 20th century, rare earth minerals are becoming in the 21st. And all the easy places in the world have been drilled. And so that leads to places like Central Africa, Afghanistan, and you're not going to see American companies or Canadian companies go there, but that doesn't pose a problem for Chinese companies or Russian companies or whatever. So the scramble for rare earth minerals is on. We don't think of American press doesn't even cover it, but that's kind of what's behind a lot of this politics. Well, and I think we had like one molybdenum mine in the United States. I've actually been there for some strange reason. Really? Like I uh, went to it's yeah, like Montana it's, it's on the, or something, or it's on the border yeah, between California and Nevada. Yeah, right off, right off I fifteen. Okay, and I, I, I think there was a time in the early aughts when the Chinese controlled some huge percentage of rare earth metals, and then the prices started skyrocketing. Mm-hmm. And then I think we did something about it in some way. I can't remember what, but it yeah. kind of curbed that. But the Chinese clearly have. A long-term strategy to control a lot of these resources and for good reason i mean look where we are with taiwan right now like who would have mm-hmm. thought that over 90 percent of the world's advanced semiconductors would be centered on one island that is under constant threat of hypersonic missile strike by the chinese 60 percent of the world's semiconductors and then you have a huge percentage that's being produced in shenzhen and in, in china yeah. so that's what I don't think most people realize. Like they get really aggressive about like, no, we don't care about Taiwan. Let them have it. It's just like, well, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I get that sentiment. But if you let them have it, your yeah. way of life right. is going to change dramatically gonna... in the yeah. next five years. If you let that happen, like this is, this is a no choice sort of thing. And if I'm China and I'm looking at what's going on in the United States right now, and just looking at, Look, I, I don't want to be I don't want to be political, but one cannot make a very strong argument that this administration is doing well on the international scene or the economic scene, right? You have extremely highly elevated prices, so you know there's food security issue, a looming food security issue in the United States itself. The second thing is you have 
Volt Typhoon, right? I think the director of the FBI was just testifying to Congress this morning, in fact, about this campaign to target U.S. infrastructure, particularly in Hawaii, Guam, West Coast port facilities, all places that China would likely mess with in order to retard a response to an invasion of Taiwan. And then I also heard this morning that in the quarter prior to the Taiwanese election on January 13th, there was a 3,000% spike in cyber activity from China to Taiwan. So anyway, that's kind of the yeah. the groundwork for this sort of situation. And there's other things too. There was a study that came out that was talking about the Chinese, you know, Chinese corruption filling like ballistic missiles with water and stuff like that. <laughs> I again, I don't I don't know what that means, but that feels very much to me like Chinese misinformation in order to make it seem again, I'm just speculating, but I'm talking too much right now. So what's your what are your thoughts? If you're so if I'm G, I would probably if there was any time to roll the dice, this year is the year and April is the time. What do you say? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. When the United States and China clash, the world will never be the same, especially when forces beyond reality threaten to intervene. What if the United States went to war with the People's Republic of China? How would these rivals fight for supremacy on land, sea, air, and across the stochastic streams of time? What wonder weapons would be unleashed? What horrors would emerge from the irradiated sludge of the South China Sea? What heroes would rise and forever change the course of history? Tread into the deepest and darkest dimensions of the multiverse, gaze through a kaleidoscope of fractured realities, and bear witness to the disturbing visions of World War III from today's greatest minds in science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Weird World War, China. Available now from Bain Books at Bain.com. Well... It's a good question. I think that there's many ways for China to wage war and win, and they don't all involve a military invasion. So I believe that China is at war with the U.S. and that the U.S. doesn't know it by Chinese design, or at least that's the perspective of Xi and the CCP. China's goal is this. By 2049, they want to become the only superpower in the Asian region. And by 2099, they want to own the earth. And they want us to become like Italy, or, you know, a first world country without first world power. And they don't need to have a military invasion of California, and they may not need to have a military invasion of Taiwan. But what they're doing, regardless, is very belligerent. China has something called, I mean, there's certainly economic warfare, right? I mean, who, you know, capturing rare earth minerals in Africa through Belt Road Initiative, microchips in Taiwan, controlling critical supply chains, whoever can do that has the world by the short hairs, right? They also have something called the three warfare strategy, which a lot of your listeners may not have ever heard of before. But the three warfares is this. I mean, it actually is derived from this document, this book in 1999 written by two Chinese colonels called Unrestricted, Unrestricted Warfare. Warfare. Right. And they yeah. made that into a policy. And this is the policy. It's basically the three warfares of this. One is media disinformation. 
through things like we're talking about, right? And things like CCTV, which is their RT news. And um, I don't think they need CCTV. I think they yeah. need CNN. And they might yeah, already exactly. have it. They might they need MSNBC and Fox News. I think they got it. They they got that. Are rather the second is psychological warfare. And these are things like TikTok, which we can talk about, like an app, right? As a way to send perverse messages to the U.S. to promote criminality and incohesion and chaos and undermining political authority. And the third is legal warfare or lawfare. And that can be for anything from subverting international law and trying to twist it to your own national interests in perverse ways. It could also mean if we were to have like a mobilization in our country, like a military mobilization, they would hire law firms to throw as many legal roadblocks in our way to gum up the system. The three warfers are all covert. So if they were to hire law firms, if they were to hire people to challenge legal precedent, they wouldn't have like a CCP as backing it. That law right. firm could be getting money through multiple cutouts, but its origins are the CCP. You can win by subversion. And then we live in a, in a hyper-information age where now information can eclipse firepower in how you win wars. And we know our adversaries, Russia, Iran, China, are all about subverting the U.S. because our military is number one. But, of course, China is also building up its military. So that's also now on. That's a threat. So we're getting into the 2020s, 2030s now. We're thinking about, well... Do we, you know, Taiwan is now central. If if we don't want to do it because it's not a strategic interest, that's fine. Unlike, say, Estonia, you know, Russia invades Estonia. But as you were saying, we all depend on microchips. And it's not easy to pick up a microchip industry and move it elsewhere. It's not a sweatshop in Bangladesh. So this is the challenge, and China needs it too. They have an existential need for this as well. It's not like they already have all the microchips. They want to have the monopoly on it. This is something that you know everybody kind of wants. So that's why Taiwan matters to a lot of people. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. To advertise on Through a Glass Darkly, email throughglassdarkly ads at gmail.com. And to our credit, we passed the CHIPS Act, mm-hmm. I think, a year or two years ago. Yep. However, I think it only builds about 120th of that capacity. And the other thing, too, is it's 55% more expensive to produce the same equipment in the United yep. States than it is in Taiwan. So. Yeah, the Chinese might wait, but I don't think they could pick a better time because I think if we get through this year, and I say if, it's a big if, if we get through this year as a nation, I think the danger will pass and will be a little bit less contentious. Well, I guess it depends on who wins, but mm-hmm. and it depends on how that plays out. But I think if there are plans to attack, because the other thing too is Taiwan is not getting closer to China. I think 86% of people surveyed there have no interest. Well, the recent presidential election, they elected a very anti-Chinese politician and China had things to say that day. Well, we can talk about it like an invasion, but I think, yeah, there's a lot of spirit and animus against Beijing in Taiwan. And Beijing, remember, they're still digesting Hong Kong. And that's which is a lesson, which is a lesson to Taiwan, too, right? Yeah, it is. It also happened this past week as a judge in in Taiwan has just ordered the breakup of Evergreen, the big, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things we can discuss about China. I mean, it's uh, Taiwan's a focus point. But I'll say this. I mean, 
I live in Washington, D.C., where everybody now is suddenly a China expert. You know, three years ago, they were an Afghan expert. Three years before that, they were an ISIS expert. You know, it's D.C. expertise. There are a few legitimate China That actually experts. explains our national security policy. It does. We have a schizoid, you know, I mean, look, we have the Secretary you know, of Defense that disappeared for three days and didn't tell anybody. So that's, I know. that's kind of the expertise that we have in, in D.C. I mean, it's, it's so... DC think tanks are the worst offenders in my, well, amongst the worst offenders. That's fighting words for many, the, the race to the bottom. But I know basically- I, you Funny know. you say that. I was reading a book this morning about something completely unrelated. It was by Lieutenant Colonel Corso, and he called Vietnam a think tank war. Yeah. It's just like, he's just like, we were <laughs> laughing good. that we were possibly going to be in charge yeah. of it. His boss was his General Trudeau, yeah. and they were laughing about it because- he said we would either we would either win the war or we would be court martialed. Right. And and he's like, thank God they didn't send us because this was clearly a think tank war and we kind of knew before it even started what was going to happen. Well, anyway, sorry, you continue. know, the the yeah. the, 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 the 9-11 wars were think tank wars as well. And one of the things I think General Petraeus did very well is capture a few think tanks to promote his ideas. But that's a different story. But your point remains same is that expertise, it's like the movie Princess Bride, where that word may not mean what you think it means, at least in Washington, D.C. For me, who's an expert? Well, you've got to be able to speak, read, and write Mandarin. That's <laughs> a beginning. Right, right. Some time there, living there to understand yeah. the culture. That's, I mean, expertise takes decades to accomplish. It doesn't happen on a 36-month schedule. And what happens, of course, is that actual experts in Washington, their voices get crowded out by all these think tank pundits and stuff who have sharp elbows and they want to get on Fox and CNN. And that's what policymakers and lawmakers watch. They don't read, despite what they'll tell you. And that's how policy gets made. It's the so-called CNN effect. And unfortunately, when you do talk to real experts in Washington about China, if you can find them, they come into almost two camps exclusively. One is that China is going to take over by 2049. So learn your Mandarin today. And the other is China is going to collapse by 2049. Nothing to see here. You know, and yeah, it's like yeah, not yeah, much in between. Um, what's that? It's not a pundit, but uh, he's got his own YouTube channel. You know, probably know exactly who P Peter, Peter Zion. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's his scenario about the commercial collapse and all that. By the way, we have a commercial finance problem as well. Yeah, we do. Uh, I mean, but, about, but yeah, I mean, all these things. I mean, it's easy to be an armchair admiral and say, well, let's who, who has more destroyers, but it's all these things combined, including the domestic politics of China and US. I mean, US is a dumpster fire. China has some problems too. They're not a dumpster fire, but economically they are they have some serious challenges. They have some middle class challenges. I mean, for 20 years the middle class is being fed candy and now it's going to stop and what's going to happen. You've got some other problems too. And so there's a lot of reasons to to be humble about what we can predict. But I do think to your earlier question about Taiwan, right or wrong, is a focus point. And it's a military one as well. The U.S. hasn't had a real military challenger since the Soviet Union disintegrated. I don't think China is that military competitor yet, but they are certainly trying to become that. And their trajectory looks like it's possible. But anyway, we can talk in more detail about that. You know, can China take Taiwan militarily? Could they do other things? What could the U.S. do? I mean, what are we, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So you drive yeah, the conversation. Yeah, let's talk about that. So yeah. just to set the stage. So in 2021, I think when Nancy Pelosi went to visit, the Chinese yeah. staged an exercise where they surrounded the island. I think they had like six, I don't know, exclusion zones, something like that, that they, or what they call the setup. If you look at a map, typically, historically, they could only really invade the western part of the island now they demonstrated they could probably invade the western part simultaneously if they chose to and that's where most of the response assets are for the taiwanese at the same mm -hmm. time there are roughly 20 possible landing sites now it would obviously be heavily contested it's a, a very mountainous terrain very tough to fight but if you were fighting a sneaky war 
Sean. <laughs> yes. One idea that, you know, they might have is, you know, you could probably put a bunch of troops in cargo containers. It's a 30 hour right. transit across the strait. <laughs> have them go in plain clothes and just, just wait. And then when the signal comes up, you have chaos. Plus they've been steadily flying Taiwanese politicians to the mainland on nice, lavish trips, buying influence, influence peddling, etc. So with that in mind, again, mm -hmm. throwing out a few ideas, what are their kind of sneaky war tactics? If they wanted to actually take the island, what could they do to minimize casualties? Well, I think, in my opinion, and again, this is all caveat, but this is all crystal ball stuff. Right. I'll start by saying that I don't think China wants to take Taiwan militarily. I think they saber rattle to extract political favors the same way North Korea saber rattles with nuclear missiles and stuff like that. Of course, they're much more serious in North Korea. North Korea is like a clown with a nuclear hand grenade, right? China is a much more serious deal, you know? Or a, monk uh, or a monkey with a pistol, but yeah. Or a monkey with a pistol, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it, it all fits. I actually saw that in Africa, a monkey a, like a monkey with an AK-47. It's almost killed a bunch of people who were taunting it. They, you know, would have been Darwin Awards, oh, but... Uh, oh, good, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good, 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 <laughs> it's, it was, it's Africa. So China doesn't have the amphibious ships it needs to take Taiwan, which is why Xi Jinping in 2021 or so told his admirals, make a robust amphibious fleet and have it ready by 2027. So if I want to invade Taiwan, we can't. So they're busy beavers right now trying to do that. And they're very quick compared to America. Of course, the quality control is, you know, we don't know where. But, you know, when you talked earlier about how making microchips is think baby so much formula more for amphibious carriers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. And of course, if you've got like a billion people, you can afford to lose a few ships, I suppose. But as Stalin said, quantity has a quality all of its own. So the earliest they could invade, if all goes well, which, of course, doesn't always happen, would be 2027. So recent discussion about 2024, it's hyperbole. And I also don't think that China wants to take Taiwan to them. It's a civil war. They know it would be bloody. They know it would risk American involvement. They know that if they had an invasion, the international community would likely come down on them. Mm -hmm. So I think they want to absorb it economically and culturally by 2049. But that's also why this recent presidential election in Taiwan is such a threat to them, because it's not going according to their plans. I mean, they're trying to pay their way in through corruption and bribery to win friends and influence people, and and it's not working. And I think Taiwan saw well, also a heavy hand too, like lots oh, of heavy, yeah. like the beat. Yeah. It's like it's like this mentality. It's like. Part of it's cultural. It's like the beatings will continue until morale improves. Like, that's li right. Like, literally, it's going to be. It is right. They're not nuanced. They're having this problem in Africa when they go to Africa and they don't understand why. I mean, they're very ethnocentric. China is very ethnocentric. And in the intelligence world, they're committing the cardinal sin of mirror imaging, assuming everybody thinks just like you and that you're coming in peace and everybody greets you this way, right? That's not the case. There's a fascinating documentary, I believe it was developed by Obama's production company, actually, where there is a plant, uh, maybe they're making tires, I can't remember what they're making, in Ohio, and they bring the Chinese, it's a Chinese-owned company. If you know nothing about this problem, in order to understand the cultural difference, Watch that documentary. Interesting. Uh, do you yeah. know which one I'm talking about? I don't, but I'll have to look it up. But but I've heard this throughout BRI. A lot of countries are aghast by Chinese cultural gaffes and the clear arrogance. Now, they don't think they're being arrogant, but you know they've got a lot to learn right so china yeah, we talk about we talk about white privilege in this country right. it's yeah. called han privilege it is yeah they have severe han privilege and if you know one also check out women's rights in china while you're at it they have rights in china that's, <laughs> that's the rumor i don't think it's true but so china has if they wanted to take taiwan military i don't think they're inclined to right now i don't think they can 
if they were developing a contingency plan to do so, which of course everybody does that, yeah, they would try to create a fifth column, right? And there's many ways to do that. There are sympathizers in China. They would try to put pressure on the Chinese population of either the train is leaving the station, get on the train as soon as possible you know, with leaders and influencers. But a lot of Taiwanese, they don't, despite what the political classes are doing, which are also very corrupt, surprise, you know, everybody, there are- It seems to be a common theme around the world. There is. And they can also, you know, China can have what they call sticky power. They try to create economic interdependence so people are more invested. But there's a lot of things going on on the ground, right? So- If China was to work up a way to do this, they would have a fifth column. They would use submarines to cut all the underlying, the major trunk lines of communication, the cables that go from island to island. I mean, they can't stop, they can't seal off Taiwan from communications, but they can muck it up a lot, right? Right. And the question is, how do they time it in a way that doesn't likely trigger U.S. involvement? A lot depends on who is elected president in 2024 and the fallout of that. But here's the problem. I've been to Indo-PACOM, and Indo-PACOM is a military command for Asia based in Pearl Harbor. And they spend a lot of time. By the way, these are the same guys who ignored the spy balloons that flew right into, by the way. That's right. Them and Northcom. Yeah. These, yeah, they. um, But these guys, before it got to Northcom, these guys. Yeah. It was in their their backyard. Yeah, exactly. They just, you know, they were looking for Mach 1 and higher things and didn't think about. Well, they may have seen it. They may have seen it and just chose to ignore it or not. Who knows? I don't know. Who knows? I just know it had to go through their area of operations before it got to Northcom. Right. Yes. And they, they, and all they do night and day is they war game out the South China Sea and Taiwan Straits. They war game. Now, I've seen these war games. Most of them are classified. I will say this. I think they're a bit foobar, which is an acronym I think your listeners probably know. Left up beyond all recognition. Right. Right. Because what they're imagining is they're imagining like, World War II with better technology. They're imagining the Battle of Midway with Ford-class carriers and F-35s and a few drones. Of course they are. And that's not the way militaries fight. It's going to be hypersonic missiles and drones. Hypersonic missiles and drones. Yeah. Well, not only that is that here's the problem for both sides is that nuclear great powers do not fight conventionally because it will escalate to nuclear warfare. It could happen instantly. And this is what made the Cuban Missile Crisis a crisis. And this is not a lesson we've learned. We're going back to the 1940s and ignoring the 1960s. And so are they with their saber rattling. And so is Putin to some extent with his rattling. By the way, he's been remarkably restrained. Like, let's give him credit. Yeah, he has. Again, I'm not not a Putin fan, but look, and I I don't know for sure, but if somebody attacked one of my pipelines... There would be yeah. a response, and he's been remarkably restrained. He's a cold so, warrior too, and this matters. Yeah. I mean, I, I I'm not siding with Putin, but we have to give some credit where credit's due. Yeah, you gotta be, uh, you gotta give him credit for being the adult in the room. Let's just right. be, let's be clear. Like again, right. I, don't, I think he's a despicable human being, right? But he's the only. He's adult shown in the some room. constraint and also some right. control over. Right. Over anyway, so. If there is a shooting war between the U.S. and between Chinese. Uh, the, we call them PLAN, People's Liberation Navy, PLN, it could go nuclear really quickly. And all these war games that the U.S. is doing, it's like an artificially extended conventional war period. And then when all other options are exhausted, somebody pulls a nuclear hand grenade. But in real life, that can happen in 10 minutes, right? And so nuclear deterrence is not a way that Indo-PACOM is thinking about this. I mean, maybe it's not their fault. They're being asked to do this, but they shouldn't be asked to do this. They should be asked to, how do we win? And also, here's another constraint. Their rules of engagement from POTUS, and I think this is whether it's Republican or Democrat, is you have to defend Taiwan, but you can't attack mainland China. And the problem about this is that the problem with Taiwan or Formosa, and this is the problem in World War II as well, is that it's only, what, 90 miles from mainland. It's close Mm -hmm. to mainland China. So China has invested in 
hordes and hordes of dirt cheap, fairly accurate surface to surface missiles. And they just rain down a hurricane of these missiles and anything that's there and, and destroy it. And we can't fire, we can't attack, we can't preempt those missiles. This is exactly why Look, in that's insanity. In, that's yeah, absolute insanity. And there's no way to win against that. And this idea of swarm tactics is something that Soviets developed in the 1980s against supercarrier fleets. They you know, were going to swarm in missiles. They didn't have hypersonic missiles or hypersonic nuclear missiles. And also, this is a problem back in World War II. So initially, in like 1943 or so, MacArthur, Nimitz, and Roosevelt met in Hawaii, I think in 43, to discuss, like, you know, after Midway, what's the way forward with Japan? And MacArthur, who's a, you know, a big head, but he wanted to go through the Philippines. Of course, that's where he lost his command. He had, you know, but Nimitz wanted to do an island hopping to take Formosa, which is Taiwan, and then from there launch into Japan. Eventually, FDR side with MacArthur for all sorts of political reasons that were good and bad. But one of the reasons he dinged Nimitz on, which is a legitimate reason, is that, look, the Japanese have tons of air bases in mainland China. They can just bomb our troops on the beaches of mm -hmm. Formosa. And so that is a classic geopolitical problem that we cannot get around. So either we change our rules of engagement, which is open hostility with China, and we also can't ignore the fact that it can go nuclear within 30 minutes. It can go off the rails quickly. So, you know, what does that leave us? I don't know. I don't think a conventional war with China is going to last very long. So that's the beginning. But just say it happens. Just say China gets a beach hold. They say it's like 2027. What happens mm -hmm. then? They survive a murderous D-Day-like assault, but they capture something. Can they sustain it is the question. They have, remember, their army, despite the Sabreling, has not fought successfully since 1949. They got their asses kicked by the Vietnamese in 1979. After yeah, they, the were, they were like in and out in two weeks. So. Yeah, it was, you know, a million people dead. And the Vietnamese who were just, you know, on the ropes from battling the French, you know, the United States. Wait, did they, the did they really lose a million people in that? It was it was bad. No, it wasn't that, but it was huge. It got it was a slaughter. Mm. And so all this stuff about like all this wolf warrior stuff, it's just like they're an unproven, untested armed forces. We cannot forget that. Also, they can develop a huge navy quickly, but they can't develop the commensurate, the commensurate like human IQ to go with it. They don't have deep institutional learning. They can't do things like C to C refueling very easily. I mean, all these things, what we're doing is we're imagining an American Navy with a Chinese flag on it. And this is not the case. They may have new paint, but they don't have a new Navy. And so their ability to sustain an occupation with no counterinsurgency experience, all these things is dubious at best. And it doesn't mean that there also is another defense that the U.S. could do. It wouldn't involve conventional warfare. It's like we load up the army. We load up that island with Green Berets and others who create a resistance movement that we support covertly. There are things that we can do to make this a pirate victory for China so that they want to leave. And also China has learned from Hong Kong that these things brief well in Beijing, but they're very hard to pull off in reality. Now, it doesn't stop. It's like lawsuits. It doesn't stop people from suing or trying to invade. And it doesn't mean there won't be a huge mess on the world's hands. It should not be taken as a given that China will take Taiwan if they want it. It also can't be taken as a given that we can stop Taiwan, we can stop China from attacking and defend Taiwan either. It's really, truly no man's land. Yeah, I think like my personal view is this year is the easiest year it's ever going to get for them militarily. Yeah. I think after that, they have an incentive <laughs> to wait because I think as soon as we diversify, I think we'll be less likely to challenge the Chinese and we'll, we'd probably distance ourselves from Taiwan. Right now, it is a vital national interest, even though nobody outside of people in the national security community realize that.
Yeah. I'm sure well, Wall there, Street realizes it too. Well, that's that's true too. I mean, there is this four-star Air Force general, American, who said a couple months ago, like six months ago, that prepare for war with China in 2024 or 25. And, you know, his quote got taken out of context and like, what's he saying? And and you just heard me saying like, they really can't invade any closer than 2027, best case scenario, which is all true. But there is a scenario, like a worst case scenario, like a, a most, pro, you know, most not the most probable scenario, but a worst case scenario. Most dangerous um, course of action. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. As you know, Sean, from military time, it's this, is that we have a contested election that both Republican and Trump, Biden, whomever says it's ours to win. And they both order the military to secure their election. And we have not just a constitutional crisis, but maybe even some predilection of hostilities, civil war, urban, rural, whatever. And that China exploits that chaos to do some underhanded things. It may not be an overt invasion, but it might, it could be an overt invasion, but it could also be something that's very, you know, military, but more black art stuff. But anyway, they do something that sinks their claws into Taiwan that they can exploit later. And it makes us even less willing to go to bat for that. So if there is worst case scenario, our country a year from now is in total chaos because of a contested armed contested election, say, China could exploit that chaos with Taiwan. Yeah. And Taiwan wouldn't be the only yeah, it would be all of America's adversaries would take advantage of this. And because the military could be deadlocked of who's what's the chain of command? What do we do? Do we commit to an act of war or do we have to, you know, are we supposed to secure Washington, D.C.? I mean, who knows what could happen? So my guess is with the the military, if ordered to fire on U.S. citizens, you would have mass. I don't think that will happen. I, I, I wouldn't say desertions, but I, I would say mass disobedience. I agree with that. I mean, the border border patrol right now is refusing, not drastic orders like that, but refusing to intercede against the Texas Rangers and and securing the border. So it would be similar to something like that. Yeah, I I agree with you. I'm not suggesting that it's going to be American U.S. Army firing on militias. or I'm not suggesting that, but I do think that there's a scenario where there could be also People don't leave the barracks or whatever if they're being ordered to do something. I mean, let's not forget during COVID, 20% of the U.S. Armed Forces refused to take the COVID vaccination. And the the military didn't have the capacity to court-martial them, 20%. And if they did, our readiness would go to zero. Well, they and got rid so, of some of them, though. They got, they got rid of a lot yeah, of them. They got, well, they got rid of a fraction of them, but... But 50% of the military just didn't report to duty or whatever. I mean, that would also create a crisis. And also, would Indo-PACOM be likely to take aggressive action against China or Iran or Russia in a moment like this? I don't know what would happen. So it's not like it's going to be the U.S. Army shooting Americans. I I agree with you. That's not going to happen. And I don't think any officer is going to order that. But I do think that it still creates disruption and ripples that adversaries can take advantage of and create emergency crises for us in a time of transitioning contest. Yeah, it could be spicy. And the other thing, too, is the Chinese also could, again, sneaky war. They could also test the waters by taking a few of the, like, there are a bunch of islands in Taiwan, because Taiwan's not just the island, right? Some are very close to the... Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Some, Some are, are very, close very close to China. Yeah, China. So I mean, they're might, kind of Chinese already. But yeah, and yeah. and and the you know and you know as you know, like gray gray warfare. Yeah, they're pretty. They might just they, take a little, take a little piece. The salami slicing piece. tactic, and that's what they've been doing yeah. throughout the South China Sea. So, I expect. I think that'd probably be a more likely next step. I don't think it's going to be like a you know June 6, nineteen forty four thing, all out of the blue. I mean, the U.S. can probably would see that mobilization coming, but there's a lot of ways they can get their fangs into Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And the way you deal with the U.S. is you do a little bit at a time. If you do something big, you'll get our attention and we'll, you know, look at 9-11 and we'll go big. We uh, Too big is what we'll do. We'll go too big. But if you just shave a little bit off every now and then, I mean, that's how they've taken the South China Sea, one island at a time over 10, 15 years. 
And we look at them like, are we going to go to war over an, a bunch of rocks full of seagull crap? Of course, we're not going to do that. But if they did it all at once, we'd freak out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, that that's worked for them very well. I don't see why they need to change that strategy. They've got strategic patience. They've got until 2049. Plus, they've got economic and cultural and other things. And it works well for them to saber rattle. We freak out. It really is disruptive for the United States, you know, when they saber rattle. We get used to it. It's a little bit like North Korea. But we can't fully dismiss it either, unlike North Korea. So our U.S. budget now is, what, $880 billion a year? Like, that's more than Saudi Arabia's GDP. I mean, that's not a small. I mean, that's even big money for the Pentagon. So that's in response largely to China. So this is a way of hitting us. So what's the situation right now with mobilization and when i say mobilization i don't mean personnel mobilization i mean we're sending all these weapons to ukraine now we're sending all these weapons to israel yeah why haven't we kind of mobilized to start you know if, if one more shoe drops we're not going to have enough weapons to fight this stuff i mean we might for a very short <laughs> mm -hmm. period of time sure. we're going to run out pretty quickly there's a right. lot so of the yeah why hasn't I, mean, I know that they've expanded production lines on the javelins a little bit but yeah. they're still making like i don't know at most a hundred it, it, it takes a it, year like something ridiculous. i mean ukraine has has very bad rate of fire discipline they're like for them it's like very dumb we'll just shoot it till the case is empty and let's also not forget that ukraine's a very corrupt state i mean it's like nigeria with snow we forget it was run by right. oligarchs and, you know, it, that hasn't changed just because Zelensky's there and he's a media darling in the West. So we don't even know where all these things end up, which is very dangerous. But we have a capacity issue and there's some controversy inside the Pentagon the last year and a half about Ukraine and now Gaza because all those Iron Dome missiles we're firing are very expensive and they're being used to shoot down very inexpensive things. I mean, this is classic tactic if you're russia or you're ukraine the way to deplete your enemy's exquisite air defense system of patriots etc is just to shoot a whole bunch of cheap ass rockets and when they're done with their battery then you fire your hardcore stuff right why do we do this i don't know so we have a production line industry problem we don't have the capacity to refill these things they take a long time and they're very expensive but we have we actually have a bigger problem than that, which I know you know you're tracking very closely, Sean, which is our personnel capacity. The U.S. has had a recruitment problem now for three or four years running in ways that have long-term effects that those in the Department of Defense see very clearly. I mean, the Army is very clear-eyed, as is the Navy, about this. The Navy is now lowering their standards so what you don't even have to have a high school degree. I mean, you don't even oh, have wow. to do push-ups to get in. I mean, it's like ridiculous. They're just trying to fill bodies. Well, you have Dick Durbin offering citizenship. Right. Oh, I mean, we're proposing to offer citizenship to right. the illegals who are coming. And I'm calling them illegals deliberately. Migrants, yeah. all this crap. They are illegally here in this country, breaking law, and we're allowing them to. So it fits the classic blueprint of Rome. That's yeah. what happened to Rome, right? With the Germanic tribes. They well, yeah, taught them I mean, how to fight, integrated, and then it fell from within. They were sacked by the Germans. They were The Franks were free Germans or true Germanic tribes who, yeah, and there's a lot of that. And we are getting to a problem now that the military doesn't want to discuss it any more than a big bank wants to discuss how it's losing its money in 2008, right? But this is one of the most serious crises on our own national security horizon that most Americans don't realize, but the military realizes, but all their tactics are, they're also not being very creative about it. I mean, they're just doing more of the same thing, which is the definition of insanity. And they have to ask why, like, who's not joining that used to join? And I think we know the answer to that. Yeah. So I, I think there's a serious problem. And I, you know, I think, and this is maybe a little mixed analogy, a little dangerous, a little apples to grapefruit, but I think there's something to it as well. So I live in the great city of Washington, D.C., which is going through a crime wave that has not been equaled since the last millennia. 
since the 1990s. Yeah, there have been more murders in your city this, yeah. in 2023. We, yeah, last year. In the last 20 years. It is list, It's off the charts. I mean, you know, and it's also mostly a certain demographic teenagers from a certain part of the city that the city council doesn't want to address. Right. Leaving that aside, they in in and also by, DC. By, by has, the way, by the way, yeah. one of our mutual Kennedy School graduates was recently attacked by two members of a undiscussed demographic in New York. Uh, like last, I'm week. sorry to hear that. Yeah, it, everything's fine. It's a, but, I'm glad to hear that, but it's a real problem. DC is historically super soft on crime. You know, it's been a political football by Republicans and by the DC City Council, but I think we can all agree that it's a sanctuary city. You know, in the mold of New York, Chicago, or San Francisco, and well, unless uh, yeah. you apply crime equally, yeah, people are going to take advantage of it. People are right. Like, humans are human; they're going right. to do human things. It's the same thing with like every store where you know, I live in Northern California, and every Target you go to, everything's behind locked glass now. Right. Well, CVSs are closing all over DC because yeah, kids show it up. Yeah, they just come with hefty bags and just clear it off the shelves and buy it and walk out. Okay, that aside, one of the big reasons for the crime wave is because they can't recruit police. And you know, and yeah, and because you know, they DC fully embraced Black Lives Matter and defund police ideas, and they created a Black Lives Matter plaza in front of the White House and have and, and everything about Black Lives Matter. And now a couple of years later, they discover like we are short of police officers. And you know what? All the older experienced officers are leaving both black and white and nobody's being recruited. And now we can't enforce our laws. And now we have a crime wave. OK, now there's a parallel for our military as well. If we cannot fill our ranks, even with totally unqualified candidates. I mean, if we can't, that's something our adversaries take note of, and it can tempt bad decision-making on the part of adversaries. Look, when you alienate the, your primary demographic, which you've taken for granted for decades, they've reliably yeah. served, they've done their duty, and then you have a debacle like you did in Afghanistan, that basically delegitimizes all the friends that they've lost, things right. like that. <clears throat> this demographic, and I'm not going to say it, but takes 85 took 85 percent of the casualties, and you know even though they represent a, you know a smaller percentage yeah. of the population than that, yeah. And then you you know, systematically tell them that they're advantaged over everyone right. else, and you know and they're you know maybe the wealthy may fit that category, but certainly the lower and middle classes that typically serve as the donors to these legions, mm -hmm. you know, don't like, there's a reason. You know, one of the reasons they serve is for patriotism. And the second reason is because yeah. it's the only opportunity that they have. Yeah. When you systematically tell them that they need to step aside and things like maybe yeah. they will, maybe they will. And that's what's happening. Right. Well, I think people don't want to join an army. that got sent into Afghanistan only to die because of cynical politicians who knew it was over in like 2011, right? But kept the embers burning because they'll risk other people's lives before they'll risk their career. That's what it comes down to. Well, and the, th the secret of all this is it's not a racial thing. The racial exactly. thing is a divide and conquer strategy. I agree. It is an elite versus everyone else thing. Yeah, I agree. It is. And I, especially with armed forces, because elites generally don't go, that's for other people no, to fight and die. They they, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not for our class. So and that was my yeah, experience. I mean, even, as, even, yeah. even Biden's son, Bo Biden, what did yeah. he do? He talks about going to Iraq. Yeah, he went to Iraq, but he was in JAG. He was, right. a, he was a lawyer. Not the same. Yeah. I mean, you and I were different. How trigger time we, did he get over there? Right. Yeah. You know, he was sitting in a, you know, if, yeah. So, but what we're both seeing from whether it's officers, NCOs, or white black minorities is that or police officers they're they're actually not encouraging their kids to join you have families with multi-generations of service in law enforcement or military and they're actually actively discouraging their kids from joining and this is also a big problem so it's not just like and you know traditionally the military always blames a strong economy well they can't do that anymore 
Right. right. They always say it's whether it's true or not, it's usually not. In the late 1990s, there was a problem. In 2008, there was a problem. It was never the strong economy. It's now they can't do it. It sort of belies the naked problems of the military it's having. But this is a serious problem. I mean, I think the United States of America's biggest national security threats are actually internal, they're not other countries. It's our dysfunctional political system. It's the fact that we can't recruit because of all sorts of reasons. It's, well, and, it's and, our and money. And that's that we're important to know yeah. is because yeah. the institutions of our government have been weaponized over the past yeah. several years to target, systematically target U.S. citizens. And what that does is, I mean, you know, you take an example. There was a recently there was a septuagenarian walked around with a cane, was gunned down by a certain federal agency, so like a SWAT team, right? For for what? Like, you couldn't pick him up on the, uh, ambling towards Safeway one afternoon? So there's incidents like that that are not widely reported, but people notice. And they yeah. say, like, why would I fight for a government that systematically pays itself and then uses arms of the government to settle petty partisan differences. And I don't think this is like a Democrat Republican yeah. thing. I think this is a people who consider themselves in the kind of permanent elite and people who yeah. are not right. <clears throat> so, so you the, might have plenty of people on the democratic and Republican side who yeah. push against this grain. Yeah. But if you don't tell the party line, like they might use, you might suddenly have an audit by the IRS. You might well, suddenly, yeah. Right. These are not new things, but I think the intensity and the breadth is concerning. That DOJ, Department of Justice, the IRS, for example, are being increasingly politicized and used as cudgels. And in whose interest do they truly serve is, an, is always a big question. And we've also seen police forces since the 9-11 wars becoming increasingly militarized. Now, I'm not with defund the police folks, but I think that there is reason why parts of police forces should be paramilitary. Right. But I do also think that sometimes it triggers bad actors. It allows bad actors. And that's white and black police officers too. But that becomes a politicized football too, where we literally throw the baby out with the bathwater. And Washington, D.C., where I live, is an example of this. Like, Basically, a lot of people in the United States of America chose to blame American racism on police officers. As if that's like the sole cause, and you know, it's without it, looking at the statistics. By the way, like well, I, you know, I and blindly advise the, the the audience to look at the statistics. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, and if you do that, people are going to stop joining the force. So it's not because they're not just the defund thing, like you know, but it's also like people are like, I don't want to be blamed, and it's not pleasant in places like why. I mean, I think the police force in Washington D.C. is actually pretty good. There's not enough of them at this point. Right. I think the and laws. Tough, uh, I'm yeah. sure it's exceptionally difficult too. It is, it, and it's not a race thing. I think you know, a lot of African American police officers, and you know, but I do think like they have also bad laws they're trying to enforce. That's another problem. So anyway, complex problems don't have simple solutions, and the simple solution of blaming police for everything is, you know, is. All is, right, so Sean, what what, yeah. what do we have to look forward to? Does this leave you with a hopeful? Uh, I kind of, yeah, I do. How can this thing, how can all this get better? Let's, okay, let's so I think, we, look, we have, we have three, we have four dumpster fires right now. We have Ukraine, Gaza, Taiwan, and the American election. Now, <laughs> of those, the American election concerns me the most. Nux, I know it's going to happen or it's going to be bad. I just don't, I'm like you. I'm like, well, we don't know what's going to happen. It, it could be bad. Hopefully it's not, but we just don't know. I think that Americans are correct to question what are national security interests in Ukraine or Estonia or in Gaza or in Iran or in Taiwan. I think that's good. I wish we had been doing that 20 years ago when some yahoos decided invading Iraq would be a good idea and that would take only a few days or weeks at the most, as Rumsfeld said. Yeah, you by know? the way, those are the same people who don't send their kids to war. No, and they They're, died in their beds, right. right? I mean, Rumsfeld yeah. retired and, you know, died in, you know, all of them. And this is a problem that we don't... and. The people who send people to war are not the people who have to fight and bleed for it. And this is not a new thing. 
Vietnam had this and, you know, with their immaculate draft. And anyway, we need to deal with this. But I do think that all these external problems are really, there's a lot of hyperbole around them. Yes, we have to be diligent and vigilant. But let's not like go to worst case scenario. Let's right, have right. faith in our armed forces, all those things. I think the bigger... By the way, I think that's the last institution that's still yeah. trustworthy. It is, uh, despite well, the... For the most part, there are elements that... Yeah, we can question good. some of that. But I mean, the recruitment the issue and, you know, but it's... People generally join the U.S. Army, U.S. military, because they want to serve the nation. And so I think that there's glimmers of hope. And I think most Americans, is, I think we are our own worst enemies. I think we have political classes who get incentivized for whipping up division rather than cohesion. And they get rewarded for it. And then we have media. We have all these things. But I think that's the larger concern. So my well, media is starting to pay for it. Media is starting to pay for it. Well, that's that's so, good. I mean, Los Angeles Times and okay. Well, I think you know there needs to be. Yeah. Some, I mean, I'm the point is if you look at these military engagements abroad, I think that they are concerning. But I also want to tell people to take a deep breath. From one, one is inside the belly of the beast. Take a deep breath. That's actually. I think that's we got a beat on that. You know, I mean, barring accidental nuclear war, I think we're okay. I think the bigger threat is the political divisions and the cultural divisions. And I think our adversaries are stirring that pot in a sneaky war way. And we need to be vigilant as Americans there. And so that is actually their main effort. It's not the saber rattling on the fringes that gets our attention like squirrel. Russia is a disinformation superpower. China has the three warfare strategy. Iran, North Korea, everybody's doing things, including private sector. They're doing things to stir the American pot. So that is actually our number one concern. And we don't have a good defense because if we engage in censorship to combat disinformation, then that's a slow road to autocracy, worse. right? So right. we have a duty to be good citizens. So I think the, the Taiwan thing is scary, yes, but I think it's okay. That's my message. It's okay. You know, Ukraine is okay. I'm and I'm okay with Ukraine being a frozen conflict. I mean, didn't we say that was where it's going to? I think we we yeah, probably yeah, we were discussing this, this way ago, before. And, we, and yeah, I was actually saying, uh, you know, a year ago that we should pit the Wagner Group against the Russian army so they like have their own crisis on their end, which, which we didn't did. do. Ukraine didn't did. do what they did, and and we called it here on the show. Mm. Um, you know, if they had done that, Ukraine could have been done by now, right? But you know, we're anyway. But, you know, even with inept policy decisions on the United States's part, I still think we're okay in these regions and we shouldn't get too alarmed by some of the more hyperbolic language. But I do think we have a political crisis at home that our adversaries are actively stirring up. And again, that's the real threat. And by the way, it's not our adversaries' fault. Like, we... It's a complete and self-inflicted. Well, no, but they're they're taking they're exploiting it. The, right. the, the way this works is you find an existing problem and you just pour kerosene on lead and fire. Yeah, and we're more than capable of ripping our throats out. And that's what they want us to do. They want us to rip our throats out, Republican, blue versus red, or whatever, so that we deflate as a country and that we still exist in 2049, but we're not a superpower like the UK is today. That's what they want, and that's victory for them, and that's good enough for them. And that's not good enough for me. For some Americans, that might be fine. But I think life is only going to get worse from 2049 to 2099 for America, if that's the case. Yeah. I mean, if you have less power, you have less ability to, to make choices about your future. Policies, yeah. Exert yeah. policies that make life better and yeah. easier for Americans. So yeah. and people won't notice the difference until, until it's over. So Oil frogs. Yeah. As always, it's been a pleasure, my friend. All right, Sean. Great to talk to you again, as always. Yeah. Absolutely. If you enjoyed today's video, please hit like and subscribe and also hit the notification button so you can be notified whenever I post new content. Thank you. Now, if you're enjoying the channel and you want to support it, there are several things you can do. In fact, there are five things you can do. The first thing you can do is just buy my books. I got plenty of books out in the market right now and I would prefer that folks buy a book rather than giving me direct support because they get something out of it. They have a real tangible product. The second way you can support me is by becoming a member 
on YouTube or becoming a patron on Patreon. And just go to either site and it'll explain everything. Third way you can support the channel is by checking out my merch site, which is here. There's plenty of stuff that you could get to support the channel. And I'd appreciate that you, you have it and can wear it. Not only do you help support the channel, but you also help promote the channel, and I appreciate that. The fourth way that you can support the channel, and this is really easy, is anytime you want to buy something on Amazon, literally just go to the description below and click on any link, literally any link. The channel gets a cut of that, and it costs you no extra money. You just go through the link as I'm part of the Amazon Affiliates program. The fifth and final way you can support the channel is through donations. Now, I don't prefer these because it's more of an expression of gratitude, but you don't really get anything out of it as a subscriber to the channel. However, if you decide to do these options, there's two options. There's Buy Me A Coffee, which is a separate site, and there's also you can go through YouTube with either a Super Chat, Super Sticker, or a Super Thanks. Again, I prefer Buy Me A Coffee because that organization takes less money than Amazon does. But either way, I appreciate any support you are willing to give the channel. So thank you very much and keep watching. I really appreciate it.